getting along with airport neighbors outside the fence, why it's important, and how we can all pitch in. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. Pete Combs with your trusted source for business aviation news. In this episode of NBAA's Flight Plan, we're going to focus on some tips for pilots and operators to build relationships with communities surrounding the airports. Joining me now is NBAA's Director of Airports and Ground Infrastructure, Alex Gertz. And Alex, there's a history here, and this goes all the way back to the founding days of the railroads. That's right, Pete. When our country was just 50 years old, Railroads became an important part of connecting our communities. People were excited to have a train station. If we fast forward 100 years to where aviation started to spring up, people wanted to have an airport in their community. However, instead of building new airports and protecting the aviation infrastructure, we've been seeing a lot of encroachment on the part of the surrounding communities making attempts to impose operational restrictions on airports. Right, Pete. And in more extreme cases, some are really pushing for complete closures of airports. Alex, we've got a panel here. Why don't you introduce these folks and I'll hand it over to you. Great. From Bethesda, Maryland, we have Dennis Roberts. Dennis is the president of Aviation Insights LLC. He will bring the regulatory perspective to the discussion. We also have with us Brad Pierce. Brad is the chair of the Centennial Airport Community Noise Roundtable. He is in Aurora, Colorado, and he's currently president for a national organization called NOISE, N-O-I-S-E, which is the national organization to ensure a sound-controlled environment. Also joining us is Gabe Andino. Gabe is manager of noise abatement and environmental compliance for AFPORTS at Teterboro Airport, New Jersey. Gabe also serves as the chair of the airport's working group of the NBAA Access Committee. Alex, there are many issues airports are dealing with, most notably noise. So with that, let's turn to the roundtable. Dennis, uh, could you give us a quick ground school on noise and the FAA perspective on managing it? Thank you, Alex. FAA is really the regulator. Uh, our, the FAA's primary role and responsibility when it comes to noise uh, and aircraft operations is really in safety and efficiency. Uh, the number one priority is safety, and we try to put together a system and maintain a system that is not only safe but also efficient. The FAA operates under uh, fairly strict guidelines. This is done primarily in the noise arena through a set of metrics. Uh, we use a metric that's called the DNL, or average day-night noise level, and the level is, is been established by Congress as 65 DNL. What that is, that's an average day-night noise level exposure. It's something that's actually modeled. It's not taken from actual measurements, but measurements are taken to validate the model. And in that model, you average the, the energy, the noise energy that occurs over a 24-hour period, averaged over a full year. I need to point out, however, that for the period of 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., each operation that occurs at that airport is modeled as 10 times the noise that's actually emitted by the aircraft. So an operation, say, at midnight by a cargo operator would be considered 10 operations if that same operation took place during the daytime. 
noise contours, which are developed around the airport showing different levels of noise emissions uh, are modeled. And we come up with different levels of noise impact, starting with a 50 DNL, which is a very uh, low, a low amount of noise, 55, 60, 65, with 65 being designated as the, the noise level that is considered significant. If you go to a community and you tell them you're not, we're not exceeding the 65 DNL level, therefore there is no uh, documented significant noise in your community, they will almost invariably come back and say, it doesn't matter to me what your definition of significant is. If it's significant to me as an individual and a homeowner, it's, it's significant and you need to do something about it. Who was here first, the airport or the, the individual in their home? really doesn't carry much weight any longer. It doesn't really matter who was there first because the environmental sensitivity of the population has, has increased dramatically to the point that people are extremely sensitive to any types of environmental factors. Uh, and that be that airport noise, that be that highway noise, truck noise, motorcycles, lawn blowers, you, you name it. And they're extremely sensitive to all of it. So those are all things that we often don't think of from an aviation technical perspective, but they're human nature and it's all part of the culture that we're currently living in. Gabe, can you talk a little bit about noise complaints and what does the airport do when they come in? In most cases, airports will collect and, and, and record and investigate complaints that are received from, from the community. In many cases, in, uh, some airports will have uh, sophisticated systems for, for flight tracking and noise measurement. Uh, Teterboro has, has, has one such system, it's called ANOMS, which allows us to locate where, where the complaints are coming from, you know, the, the home address, see where they are in relation to the airport and, and what um, particular airport operations are impacting that, that particular resident. And with that information in hand, we, we can contact the person, give them a little bit of education on, on, on why they're experiencing that, how the airport operates, uh, and what things the airport can and can't do. The airport itself, even though we're, we're responsible for collecting and, and logging uh, uh, noise complaints, you know, it's a very limited power to, to uh, do uh, anything about it as far as shifting uh, flight paths or, or, or runway usage or, or enforcing any, any sort of uh, noise measures. But we do have the opportunity to influence um, operators and, and the FAA in some cases where we're able to start the ball rolling on, on addressing specific noise issues and sensitivities near the airport by um, collaborating with FAA, collaborating with operators for noise abatement procedures, uh, best practices, um, preferential runway usage, you know, a number of tools that we have um, at our disposal to, to at least uh, reduce uh, noise impacts. Uh, one thing, we've seen a nationwide, an increase in the number of complaints. With the advent of technology now um, through websites, airports, you know, Teterboro is one that we have uh, web forms available to make it easier for people to submit complaints rather than just picking up the phone and calling. And in some cases, third-party applications have been developed as well. You're familiar with some kind of air noise button, uh, which is an actual physical button uh, that's connected to your, you know, to your Wi-Fi at your home. And whenever you click the button, it sends a, it's a complaint to the airport. And with that, we've seen a proliferation of actual complaints, kind of a tidal wave of, of data, sometimes a little bit overwhelming because at that point, the person on the other end that's submitting the complaints will think, well, the more I do this, the quicker the result in, in, in satisfying my issue will be. In most cases, that's, you know, that, that may not be true because it may not be much the airport can do about. And also, it, it just makes it hard to, to really analyze what the situation is. It becomes, for lack of a better term, statistical noise. 
And as a pilot, if I get a noise complaint against the flight that I did, what does that mean to me? Shouldn't take it as as a particular negative, more so than just kind of an, an opportunity to to learn and and and, and you you know utilize knowledge in the future to to avoid causing that again, basically. That's a great point that we shouldn't uh, take it as a negative. It's a learning experience and uh, an opportunity for us to know what we could do better next time we are uh, flying in or out of that particular airport. Uh, Dennis, uh, back to you. Uh, you mentioned NextGen and satellite navigation. The big change really is the move from ground-based navigational aids to satellite-based navigational aids, which in effect has concentrated the flight tracks uh, so that rather than dispersing aircraft over wide areas, they're now being more concentrated both in the arrival and departure modes of their particular flight envelope. What else has changed recently that um, has really changed the dynamic of how we work with uh, communities? I would have to say the whole impact of social media has probably been one of the areas that has been most prevalent and most pronounced. Brad, what are the challenges that you're seeing uh, from the community perspective? I had an example recently where a gentleman called me up and says he's got uh, flights going directly over his house. And he says, well, why can't they just move one mile east of my house so I don't get the noise? Well, you don't know who else is living a mile east of him. And there's another airport, another GA airport in the Denver area out there that would be in the way if they moved it out one mile east. So some of those things like that, just uh, basic information or basic education uh, for the community, um, we call it at the Noise Roundtable where we are here, a Noise 101. And there's so much information. We all started off, at least in our case, we're all volunteers. We don't get paid. We kind of started off at square one with all the noise issues and learned as we went. So it's the same thing for the community. They um, just, I think, think for the community to go out and educate them. We have a, um, in our round table, a, a subcommittee called uh, community outreach. And so they're going to be focused on going out to the HOAs around the airport and just giving a brief PowerPoint presentation about the airport, what the round table does, and, um, not really trying to convince them either way, one way or the other, just it's information. This is Dennis. One thing, uh, just a definition of roundtable, that's something that the FAA started several years ago. Uh, we used to have what we'd call airport noise advisory committees, which would be a small group of people, primarily individuals that had aviation interest at heart and looked at noise issues. But we found at the FAA that we needed we need a broader perspective from what the community really felt. And we started what we called the roundtables, which uh, would be a, a, a group of individuals which would be representative of the various communities around an airport uh, that are affected by noise. Uh, the FAA wanted to make sure that we didn't, as, as Brad just mentioned, the individual says, why don't you just move it one mile further to the east? We wanted to make sure that if there was a community one mile to the east of Centennial Airport, they were also represented. Gabe, by Teterboro has had one of the oldest versions of uh, the roundtable. Can you share a little more about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's the Teterboro Aircraft Noise Abatement Advisory Committee. Uh, it was established back in 1987 uh, amongst the, you know, the leaders of various communities around the airport, uh, airport management users, uh, and the FAA as well um, as a technical advisor. Uh, typically, it's our tower manager here. Um, and it's been a, a, you know, started out as a contentious uh, 
uh, early on a contentious relationship uh, between between both parties, and, and over time we've been able to um, uh, implement uh, a number of measures um, to uh, reduce noise, both mandatory, you know, in, in days when you can implement mandatory measures, uh, and currently where we have some voluntary measures as well, such as a voluntary curfew for late night flights. We've also uh, had a, a good deal of success engaging the airport users and bringing them into the fold. And that's a pretty important aspect about the, uh, of this, you know, in building relationships with, with the airport neighbors. Dennis, we talked about getting engaged um, with communities on the ground and a couple of different ways how we do that uh, sitting around the table. What more can pilot and operators do when flying? Every procedure that the FAA does, uh, air traffic procedure we put in place, be it arrivals, departures, instrument arrival procedures, and so forth. We go through a very detailed environmental assessment, uh, and, and we have public outreach, public community meetings that lay out what those flight tracks are, how we how we model the noise, how we model the flight tracks. And that's what the neighbors expect the aircraft to do. Uh, at a commercial service airport, that's generally fairly uh, fairly well adhered to. However, at GA airports, one of the things that we really encourage operators if they're flying on instrument procedures and so forth, uh, and that is that they do fly the procedures as published, either being an arrival or a departure procedure, because that's what the community expects to see an aircraft over. That's what we've done the environmental analysis on. And if, if community members see an aircraft over an area that they're not supposed to be or an area that they didn't expect them to be, all that work that goes into developing that trust with the community and confidence in the community that the procedure works and that their input has been listened to can be broken very quickly just by a single operator. So we just encourage operators to stay on the procedures for arrivals and departures as published to the greatest degree possible. They may think if they break off, they might save a mile or two uh, on their either arrival or departure track but in the end, it can do some fairly serious damage to the community relations. Gabe, you need to use best practices for noise abatement, um, and there's there's several uh, several places you can find. I think MBAA has has a great um, program and, and guidance for um, noise abatement procedures and and other kind of best practices um, to utilize when, when operating at a noise sensitive airport. And you can find that on, online at their website uh, under the uh, the operational section under environment. There, there's a noise abatement program information there, and it has uh, the recently updated uh, noise abatement procedures, uh, as well as uh, several best practices, not only for operations, but also uh, for advocacy and engagement as well. Brad, uh, what do the community members expect of pilots when they're flying? Well, I think the community members just want to make the pilots aware that um, there are people on the ground underneath where they are flying, and just to be con conscious of um, where they fly, um, of course, with safety being the number one criteria. Um, one of the other things at Centennial, we have a lot of flight schools, so um, the airport and the roundtable members go to the flight schools and um, talk to the uh, instructors about um, flying quiet. And generally, I think the pilots are receptive to that information. One of the things that pilots, in addition to just being an operator, they're also members of the community. Uh, they, they live someplace and, and they fly in and out of their airports. One of the things that people sometimes overlook is, is the value of people just going out and talking either 
personally to individual homeowner groups or, or going into the schools and talking to kids about the value and benefit of aviation, getting them excited about things like STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Every, every part of aviation has, has that ingrained within it. And if you can start getting the kids turned on to this, then what, what I've seen personally is when those kids go home and they start talking to their parents and excited about the value and benefit and purpose of aviation, I, we found that the parents are far less apt to dial up every time they hear an airplane go overhead and file a noise complaint. Brad, what concerns do you have uh, as we prepare for the future? Right. So at Centennial Airport, um, there's a lot of vacant land, especially to the south of the airport, that uh, is going to get developed someday. And some of that developing, some of that development is happening now. So the um, when a developer applies to one of the cities around the airport for approval for their plan, the cities then um, uh, refer that proposal to the Centennial Airport staff. Centennial Airport staff reviews that application, comments, uh, yes, no, or no comment. And so sometimes when development is very close to Centennial, the airport staff will recommend a, a no or a um, opposition to that particular development. And so sometimes what happens is that city council or county commissioners will approve the application for development anyway, even though the airport has recommended an opposition. So then when the development is built, um, sometimes then people will complain. And so it's kind of um, a sticky situation where you have the, the property owner, the developer is owning this land that he has a right to develop. However, it is going to be directly impacted by flights uh, over over that development. So it's it's just kind of a hard situation to resolve. Here, what you're saying is uh, pilots and operators uh, need to be vigilant. They need to participate in those meetings and make sure that uh, they're getting their word out uh, to prevent potential development that could hurt the airport in the future. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a good thought to have the pilots. Let's say there's an application to some jurisdiction around Centennial, have a pilot go and testify um, on that application would be a really good thing. And then, you know, it's all about working together on all of this stuff. It's just communication among all the parties and getting everybody kind of on the same page on how to go forward. Gabe, do you have any particular concerns for Teterboro as we look into the future? Yeah, the concerns here at Teterboro specifically uh, revolve around the airspace for the New York region. Uh, I think that's that's probably our, our one of our biggest challenges both operationally and also for noise um, because that does have um, implications you know the, the lack of, of usable airspace for us uh, here given our proximity to three major airports um, you know creates some some issues even for, for communities that are far away um, from Teterboro because of the fact that you know our, our, our flights have to stay at a lower altitudes for longer um, periods of time in the terminal airspace but I, I think uh, not so much of a concern as 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 much as as um, perhaps being cautiously optimistic about the future, uh, in terms of uh, the rollout of, of performance-based navigation, and, and some of those advanced technologies that that would actually uh, help the air traffic in, in in this region and other metroplex areas, large cities as well, um, in, in in creating a you know additional 
um, flexibility to to create the, you know different procedures, flight paths. Um, you can utilize them for you know for for noise you know noise abatement purposes. Uh, you know with with the added precision um, that that's afforded to to some of these procedures, and, and you know you can have our aircraft routed over less noise sensitive areas. Uh, so for us here, um, you know, aside from the the operational advantages that were provided, would also you know provide some some benefits in, on, on the uh, in the noise front as well. Uh, Dennis, what are your thoughts? I would say that what we all need to be aware of, and that is the fact that noise, uh, in many instances, is what I consider kind of our Achilles heel. Uh, to the ability to develop capacity and maintain the capacity and efficiency of our airports and the national airspace system into the future. Uh, communities uh, opposed to airports and air traffic are gaining traction, particularly with our congressional leaders. Uh, all you have to do is look at the FAA's recent reauthorization uh, legislation that was passed by Congress and signed by the president back in, in uh, late uh, last year. Uh, it had uh, quite a number of amendments to that dealing specifically with noise, and there were more amendments about noise issues than just about anything else. So it really behooves all of us, whether or not we're an operator, an airport operator, a pilot, whatever, to keep this in mind that we need to work with our communities, we need to be sensitive to their desires and their needs, and be very, very sensitive to the impact that noise is having on those people on the ground. So otherwise, we're going to face what you said early on, Alex, and that is we're going to be faced with more and more risk to the airports uh, through curfews or limitations or actual moves to close the airports down. That's Dennis Roberts, president of Aviation Insights, speaking to us from Bethesda, Maryland. We also heard from Brad Pierce. He chairs the Centennial Airport Community Noise Roundtable, and he was speaking to us from Aurora, Colorado. Gabe Andino is manager of noise abatement and environmental compliance for Avports at Teterboro Airport in New Jersey. He's also the chair of the airport's working group, at the NBAA Access Committee. And leading the discussion, NBAA's Alex Gertzen, who's Director of Airports and Infrastructure. Alex was speaking to us from NBAA headquarters in Washington, D.C. For more information, check out nbaa.org slash noise and nbaa.org slash airports. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan podcasts at Apple's iTunes website or download them from nbaa.org.